Ah yes, you're listening to Life 101, where we live in faith every day. This is Line Upon Line, where we study God's Word line by line. And I'm your host, Pastor Adrian. verses 9 and 10 says, Whom shall he teach knowledge? And whom shall he make to understand doctrine? And then he answers, Them that are weaned from the milk and drawn from the breasts. For precept must be upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, here a little and there a little. So if you're serious about your walk with God and you want to understand true doctrine, it's time to get your Bible and follow along as we study God's Word. It's time to be weaned from the milk. Get your Bible, tell a friend, tell your pastor about this study, and let's get into God's Word line upon line. Father, we come before you ever so grateful that in such a topsy-turvy and crazy world, such a violent world, uh, that we can take refuge in you, in Jesus Christ. We just want to thank you so much, Father, for your word, for this study. We pray, God, that you'll bless it, that you'll increase our understanding and increase our faith. We praise you, Lord, and we praise Jesus Christ, and we thank you for him. We pray in his name. Amen. So it is uh, Revelation chapter 15, which begins with the 144,000, which we covered last week. So we just want to revisit the 144,000. But in doing this, uh, before we get right into 15, I want to um, revisit the letters to the churches. And I want to do that because there are some among us that have the view that the Philadelphian church does not have to suffer martyrdom. That the Philadelphian church will be taken to a place of safety and you know there's a, as I mentioned last week there's a false prophet who teaches that the Laodicean church which is this deficient church they will comprise the 144,000 and so rather than seeing the 144,000 as a people of great honor by God they're seen as some sort of deficient suboptimal group of people that didn't quite make it and therefore they have to follow the lamb wherever he goes. That is absolute nonsense. Absolute, nothing could be further from the truth. That those who die in the Lord are highly regarded. And I think it's very important for us to have this view, especially as we talk to young people. 
you know, sometimes as we get older and we sort of look at the world, we have this sense that I'm glad I'm checking out. I'm on my way out and, and woe unto you if you have to live through the future. And I think if we understand the scriptures properly, we will have a completely different view. Our view will be, I'm sorry that I might not be here to actually see the Lord return. And, and, and I may not be here to stand up for the Lord. Uh, in this time, this this final pivotal climax and conflict between good and evil, but you will do exploits, and that's actually where I want to start today, in in Daniel, um, in Daniel chapter eleven. But before I do, I just want to make an announcement that next week uh, I'm traveling, so our Bible study will be on Thursday evening. So that's next week, I mean, rather than uh, Wednesday night Bible study, we'll have this study on Thursday, and that will be the same time, 6.30 Central, 7.30 Eastern. So I'm very sorry if that's uh, inconvenient, but uh, as you know, these, uh, these are being recorded, and they'll be in the archive. So let's begin with the study in Daniel 11. And in Daniel 11, what we see here is the prophet sees that such as do wickedly against the covenant shall this beast power corrupt by flatteries but the people that do know their god shall be strong and do exploits and this is the message that we should be communicating to our young people you shall be strong and you shall do exploits you will be filled with the holy spirit you have nothing to fear and in fact what a privilege you have to live into the future and to stand up for Jesus Christ. And, and let's do that and strengthen our youth and not have this message that, I'm sorry for you, I'm glad I'm going, but you're gonna be around. No, 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 you are truly blessed. And, and, and that's what this book of Revelation is all about, to strengthen us so that we can understand what's going to happen and we can take a stand for Jesus Christ. Now let's look at this passage in, chapter 3, the letters to the Philadelphians, where it says, Because you have kept the word of my patience, I also will keep you from the hour of temptation, which shall come upon all the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. Now, people will look at this scripture and they'll say, See, the Philadelphians are protected from the tribulation. They don't have to go through the tribulation. They're going to have a seal set upon them and, and they'll escape. They'll be in the place of safety and everybody else will go through the tribulation. My question is, where in this verse do we see that the Philadelphians are protected from the tribulation? Because I don't see it. And what, what we're going to, as we go through the text here, what we're going to see is the Philadelphians are not protected from the tribulation. The Philadelphians are protect, protected from God's wrath. And so let's go through this text and we're going to see very clearly, as it says right here, they have kept the word of his patience. That's the struggle. That's the struggle for the saints. Not to give up, not to give in, not to compromise with evil, but to have this patience that it requires faith, that requires vision, that requires understanding. And no matter what, we do not depart from the way of God. So having this patience means we will face whatever tribulation we have to face. Because of this, he will keep us from the hour of temptation, if, we, if in fact we are in this category called the Philadelphia Church. 
that he'll keep us from the hour of temptation. Notice it says the hour of temptation. It doesn't say the great tribulation. Nowhere does God promise to keep his saints safe from the great tribulation. What he promises is to keep the saints here in Philadelphia safe from the hour of temptation. Now, what is this hour of temptation? He tells us right in the text. It is an hour which shall come upon all the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. So, the great tribulation, if you're a worshiper of Satan, you have nothing to worry about. You'll be living large. You'll be having quite a good time. If you take the mark of the beast, you can buy, you can sell, you don't have to suffer persecution. So, the great tribulation cannot be what God or Jesus Christ is referencing here. Because this hour is to come upon all the world to try them that dwell, those that are established in the earth. The saints are running for our lives. We're not established. The wicked are established. They're the ones who are dwelling in the earth. And this hour of temptation is to come upon their heads, but it will not come upon the heads of the saints. And so as we get into chapter 15, I think this will become very, very clear. But before we do this, let's just back up, or, or from chapter three, we'll go forward to chapter 13, where we were a couple of weeks ago. <clears throat> where this uh, beast from the land, he had power to give life unto the image of the beast from the sea. So this false prophet has this ability to give life to the image of the beast. So somehow, some kind of deception that this image now has life, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause that as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. So these faithful Philadelphians, they are, or we, or they, whoever these, this category of people are, are not going to worship the image of the beast. And because of that, the, the, the beast ensures that the faithful are killed. But the faithful keep the word of God's patience. They do not compromise. And notice this, <clears throat> he causes all both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads. And we spoke about that a couple of weeks ago. I won't repeat this, but notice that he's very thorough. He's causing everybody to worship the devil. That no man might buy or sell, save that he had, and you have to have one of three things. A lot of people are so consumed with this 666, but it's not just 666. It, it's, it's one of three things. It's the mark, or the name of the beast, or the number of his name. One of those three things. Now, with that in mind, that this, this beast power is being very thorough and is forcing everybody to worship the image of the beast. With that in mind, we come now uh, we, in chapter, we were in chapter 14 last week where we saw the 144,000 who were faithful. Coming out of that, uh, the faithfulness of the 144,000, we now roll into chapter 15. There should be no chapter break, so it's the same subject. He says here, I saw another sign in heaven. So remember that John is having a vision. This is apocalyptic literature. It's like you fall asleep and you just have this crazy dream that just seems to make no sense. 
and, and then it's not in proper order and it's just kind of wild things just change but but if it could be interpreted if these were all symbols and then the symbol the interpretation of the symbols is given to you it's like okay this dream makes sense in fact nebuchadnezzar had an apocalyptic dream that that he didn't understand and somebody had to tell him this is what this all symbolizes well john's having the same thing so the whole vision is signified it's, it's made into symbols so he sees another symbol in heaven great and marvelous seven angels having the seven last plagues so this is it this is the final hour these are the seven last plagues for in them is filled up the wrath of god so this is now when god acts so prior to this satan knowing that he has a short time it has been satan that has been active and god has been watching now they're enough enough now it's time for god to act and these are now the seven last plagues and i saw and and i want to just uh, confirm that these plagues represent the wrath of god god is angry with the wicked and he's now going to unleash his judgment and his anger and i saw as it were another symbol a sea of glass mingled with fire mingled with fire so we remember from chapter 4 that god's before god's throne was this sea of glass now john sees the sea of glass but this time it's mingled with fire well the fire represents god's wrath it's a symbol of god's wrath god's wrath is about to be unleashed upon the earth and them that had gotten the victory over the beast so now he he sees in in front of the throne this sea of glass but it's mingled with fire but on the sea of glass mingled with fire are them that had gotten victory over the beast and over his image and over his mark and over the number of his name so remember the beast is forcing this agenda that you've got to worship his image you've got to take his mark or you've got to take his number uh, in order to participate in his economy and in his system but there are people who have the patience of god the patience of the saints and they resist him and they gain the victory over the beast and i've got to ask you this you know when you think about uh gaining victory over something gaining the victory does it sound like a walk in the park does it sound like no problem we have the victory yes we're in the lord let's just waltz over to the finish line or does it sound like an agonizing struggle like a contest where the outcome is not absolutely certain we have to make it certain we have to make our calling and election sure and we have to struggle to up to the finish line and he that endures unto the end shall be saved not he that endures almost to the end but all the way to the end will be saved and so these are the ones that gain the victory over the beast and that's why we have this this scripture in revelation is to give us vision to give us understanding so that we never compromise so these saints are able to stand on this sea of glass mingled with fire because we've gained the victory and notice that here it says uh we saw that he saw them stand on the sea of glass having the harps of god and we saw last week that the the 144,000 are singing a song that only they uh can sing but they're standing on this sea of glass which is mingled with fire it's mingled with the wrath of God, and yet they're able to stand in the midst of it. Now, 
in and we know that the fire represents this this fire here it's mingled with fire we know that it represents the wrath of god because next week when we do chapter 16 which goes into the plagues in detail when the fourth angel pours out his vial upon the sun and power was given him to scorch men with fire god is angry with the wicked and fire is going to be thrown down to the earth fire and brimstone and so the fire represents god's wrath and yet these saints are standing in this sea of glass which is mingled with fire uh, and they're able to stand before the throne. And that takes us back to chapter 6, verse 16, when the wicked are fleeing, and when God finally acts, and they're saying to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sits on the throne, and from the wrath of the Lamb. The wrath of the Lamb. And, and this, is, this is their doing, this is their choice. And that's what this is all about. There's the blood of the Lamb, and there's the wrath of the Lamb, very much like the first Exodus, that, that when he saw the blood of the Lamb, the death angel would pass over. And today we're going to overcome the, 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 the wicked. We're going to overcome the beast through the blood of the Lamb. And because we have the blood of the Lamb, the wrath of God will pass over us leading into the second Exodus. So this is all very, very symbolic. So they're now panicking over the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath is come, and who shall be able to stand? Well, we just found out who's able to stand. Those that, that have the victory through the blood of the Lamb. And so in chapter 7, when we see the 144,000 counted out, we see, and this is where people connect this to chapter 3, so that they say that the Philadelphians don't have to go through the tribulation, because here before this angel acts, in chapter 7, it says that he's instructed, Hurt not the earth, neither the sea, nor the trees, until we have sealed the servants of our God in their foreheads. And I heard the number of them which were sealed, and they were sealed 144,000 of all the tribes of Israel. So there is this automatic assumption that because, <clears throat> because um, the 144,000 are sealed, there's this automatic assumption that that seal protects them from the beast. But the scripture doesn't say this. That seal protects us from God's wrath. That's what it protects us from. So let's look at the text more carefully. It says here, in going back to chapter 3, Because you've kept the word of my patience, I will also keep you from the hour of temptation, which shall come upon all the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. And that phrase is very important, that this hour that the Philadelphians are protected from is an hour that tries them that dwell upon the earth. Who are they that dwell upon the earth? Well, let's read the scripture. So first of all, the patience, what does it mean to, so he says here, you've kept the word of my patience. What is the word of his patience? What does that mean? Well, the scripture tells us in chapter 13, you'll remember when we were there, that there's an understanding that that what Revelation gives us is this understanding that he that leads into captivity shall, shall go into captivity. And he that kills with the sword must be killed with the sword. Here is the patience and faith of the saints. So when the saints see the beast rounding up brethren and putting them to death for their faith in Christ, and, 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 and we're next, the patience of the saints 
is this understanding that our God will act. You have your hour, but our God has the last hour. And so we will be patient, like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The same, the same uh, Babylonian uh, system is the head that all these succeeding empires have the same thinking as Nebuchadnezzar. And the same way Nebuchadnezzar was forcing everybody to worship the image of the beast is the same way when we get down to the final hour that the thinking is the same. It's the same devil, it's the same empire, it's the same Babylonian system. And so the patience of the saints is this understanding that you have your hour and our God has his. And we'll wait for our God. Just as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were willing to be killed if, if need be. And so here in chapter 14, the same shall drink the same, that is the wicked, shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God. This is what the, the saints are protected from. But the wicked shall drink of the wine. Remember we saw the image of the, um, the wine press with all the grapes and the crushing down. Well, these are going to be human beings crushed under God's wrath. And the blood will be the wine that they'll have to drink, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation. God is angry. And he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. This is the final word. This is the final hour. And this is what God is promising to protect the faithful from. But the wicked will have to face this. And the smoke of their torment ascends up forever and ever. And they, that's the wicked, have no rest day nor night, who worship the beast and his image, and whosoever receives the mark of his name. So during the great tribulation, those who are worshiping the beast and his image, they're having a party. This is like in the Roman Empire. When, when Nero would set Christians on fire as entertainment, he would put them in the ring to face wild animals as entertainment. They were having, they were having a, a rip-roaring good time. And in the Great Tribulation, the wicked are going to have a wonderful time. But that's not the hour that God is saying he's going to protect the saints from. It's his wrath, the last hour. That's what the saints are protected from. And so he says in this understanding that uh, those who worship the beast and receive the mark of his name, they're going to be punished by God severely in the most severe way. Here, this understanding, this understanding that we're getting from the book of Revelation, this is where the patience of the saints comes from. We'll face whatever we have to face. We will face whatever we have to face. Why? Because we have the understanding. You know, Christ even told us, do not fear those who can kill the body. And after they've killed the body, there's nothing more they can do. We're going to fear God. So he says, here is the patience of the saints. Here are they, this is, where, this is the category that the Philadelphians fit in, that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. And you know, one of the problems that the people who are trying to interpret the Philadelphians as not having to face martyrdom, one of the problems is they, they believe that it's only the Philadelphians who, who don't have to face the, um, it's only, they believe it's only the Philadelphians who don't have to face the, the um, sorry, it's only the Philadelphians who are not criticized by God. But remember that analysis that we did of the letters to the churches, that yes, Philadelphia had no criticism. 
But Philadelphia was not the only congregation that Jesus did not criticize. He also had no criticism for Smyrna. And it was Sardis and Laodicea. So Sardis and Laodicea, he had no commendation for them. He had nothing good to say about Sardis and Laodicea, but he had nothing bad to say about Philadelphia and Smyrna. And yet, when we read the scripture to Smyrna, to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, these things says the first and the last, which was dead and is alive. So this is, this is the letter to Smyrna, just to show that there's no criticism here. I know your works and tribulation and poverty, but you are rich. So you're in the category of people who are spiritually on target. And I know the blasphemy of them, that's the wicked, which say they are Jews, but are not, but are of the synagogue of Satan. Fear none of those things which you shall suffer. This is Jesus Christ's message to his faithful people. Don't fear any of those things that you shall suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that you may be tried. And you shall have tribulation ten days. Be you faithful unto death, and I will give you a crown of life. This is the promise of Jesus to his faithful saints. And this is the same promise to the Philadelphians. When he says, I will keep you from the hour of temptation, which shall come upon all the earth, to try them which dwell upon the earth. It's the same thing that he's saying to Sardis, uh, to, to the, this uh, Smyrna church here, to say, be faithful unto death, and I'll give you a crown of life. You will not have to face my wrath. So he goes on to say, he that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says unto the churches. So we should hear what the Spirit says to all of the churches. That's, that's what we should be uh, focused on to make sure we understand the message to the churches. Now notice this. This is, this is the real message of these letters. We've got to get our act together. In order to succeed, to gain the victory over the beast, we have to get our act together. He that overcomes shall not be hurt of the second death. This is what Jesus Christ cares about. This is why he's giving us this message so we can know ahead of time the things that shall shortly take place upon the earth so that we can be overcomers. The book of Revelation is all about victory. It's all about overcoming. When the beast thinks that he has the ability to overcome the saints, it's the saints that are overcoming the beast. And it's the saints because we overcome, because we are successful in this victory, we stand with God and we reign with God, and we're seated in thrones with God, and we are born into the family of God. Why? Because we are overcomers, not because we're sniveling cowards who are looking to save our skin. This is, we really have to shake this very terrible belief that we have developed in, in, in the churches of God that we don't have to suffer. If we're good, if we're really good, we don't have to suffer. No, if we're really good, we will love God. And if we're really good, we will love our brethren. And no greater love has this, that a man will lay down his life for his friends. And, and the faithful in Christ love not their life unto the death. Because we understand this physical life is not it. This physical life is not it. There's an eternal life. And we lay hold on this eternal life and nothing will dissuade us. This is what this is all about. And so, uh, you know, these people who are teaching us that we don't have to worry, no, no harm is going to come upon us. This is very, very dangerous. 
far better to take the stance, I may have to face this. Even so, amen. And then maybe we don't have to face it, but we were ready. Rather than, oh, I would never have to face something like this. And then suddenly we find ourselves having to face it and we become sniveling cowards. We've got to shake this and develop the strength of faith and the patience of the saints. So here in Thessalonians, what Paul says, but let us, that's the faithful, who are of the day, be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith. We understand. And we're putting on this breastplate of faith. And with this, we can face the fiery darts of the wicked one. And love, love of God, love of Jesus, love of each other, love of the truth, love of all mankind. That perfect love casts out fear. He, he that is fearful is not made perfect in love. So let us put on the breastplate of love so that we will not be fearful. And for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not appointed us to wrath. That is to his wrath. Yet we may have to face the wrath of the devil. So be it. We, we will not be the first. We may have to face the wrath of the beast. So be it. We will not be the first. But we will not have to face the wrath of God. We're not appointed unto the wrath of God, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. So let's just go back now to this, uh, to try them. This is an hour of temptation to try them which dwell upon the earth. And so we saw in chapter 6, the saints who have been martyred, are crying out when, when the fifth seal opens, we get this vision, or John gets this vision, that the saints are just asking, like, how much longer before you avenge? We, we stood up for you, and we were slaughtered. And we know you're a righteous God. We, you, we know you love us. When will you avenge us? And they're told, hold on. But look at the question they ask. How long, O Lord, holy and true, do you not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth. This is what the Philadelphians are, in fact, it could be the Philadelphians themselves, cry, part of this group crying out to say, how much longer before you, we, we kept the word of your patience and we were killed for it. Now, when will this hour of temptation come that is to try them that dwell upon the earth? And the Lord, and, and so this is again, this, this crying out, uh, is very similar to the first Exodus. When the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt, and I've heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. And I am come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians, and to bring them up out of that land unto a good land and a large, unto a land flowing with milk and honey, unto the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites, the Amorites and the Perizzites, the Hivites and the Jebusites. So that's the first Exodus. The cries, God heard the cries, and he acted. Well, the second exodus is going to be so much bigger that we won't even talk about the first exodus. And God is hearing the cries, and he will act to deliver. But he's going to punish them that dwell upon the earth. And, and the, the saints are asking specifically about those that are established on the earth. In Revelation uh, chapter 11, And they of the peoples and kindred tongues and nations uh, shall see, that's the, the, the two witnesses, going to see their dead bodies three days and a half, and shall not suffer their dead bodies to be put in graves. So the saints have been killed. These two witnesses have been killed. And, and they will not even get the, 
the dignity of a burial. And they that dwell upon the earth. They're going to get their comeuppance, but it's not now. Right now, they're having a party. They that dwell upon the earth shall rejoice over them. So while the saints are being put to death, those that dwell upon the earth are partying. This is not the, the hour of temptation for those that dwell upon the earth. They shall dwell upon the earth and shall rejoice over them and make merry and shall send gifts one to another because these two prophets tormented them that dwelt on the earth. The wicked dwell on the earth. When the beast is in power, the wicked dwell on the earth. And so when the beast has his hour, that is not the hour of temptation upon those that dwell upon the earth. And in chapter 13, And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him, whose names are not written in the book of life, the book of life of the Lamb, slain from the foundation of the world. So those of us who refuse to worship the beast, our names are written in the book of life. And so the second death will have no power over us. We will not have to face the wrath of God in the hour of temptation. But those that dwell upon the earth, they shall have to face the wrath of God. And he exercises all the power of the first beast before him and causes the earth and them which dwell in the earth to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. In verse 14, And he deceives them that dwell on the earth by means of those miracles which he had power to do in the sight of the beast, saying to them that dwell on the earth. So this category of people is not the saints. And so when the saints are facing tribulation, this is not the hour of temptation that God is speaking to, promising to, to keep the Philadelphians from. In fact, when the Philadelphians are martyred, that is their ceiling, because they died in the faith. They kept the word of his patience. And so they will not have to face. They, they will be able to stand on the sea of glass, mingled with the fire, the wrath of God. And, and the wicked are asking, who can stand in, in, in the face of the wrath of the Lamb? Well, you shouldn't have taken the mark of the beast. Saying to them that dwell on the earth, that they should make an image to the beast, which had the wound by a sword and did live. And verse chapter 17 now, the beast that you saw was and is not shall ascend out of the bottomless pit and go into perdition. And they that dwell on the earth shall wonder whose names were not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world. So we can just see here that, so again, let's just, now that we understand who these people are and what patience is, let's now just read this very clearly. Because you, that's the faithful saints, have kept the word of my patience. Revelation tells us that the word of his patience is the ability to understand that there's a final hour. That the beast can go ahead and have his party, and all the wicked and those that dwell on the earth can celebrate with him, but that's not the end. The, the beast doesn't get the final say. And so the patience comes from understanding our God will act. We don't know when he will act. The same way Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did not know when he would act, and they, may have, they were willing to die, but they knew their God is faithful. This is what it means to keep the word of his patience, that no one can take the commandments of God away from us, no one can take our testimony away from us. Because of that, God will keep us, or keep the Philadelphians, from the hour of temptation. It does not say from the great tribulation. It says from the hour of temptation. Which hour of temptation is that? He defines it. It's the one that shall come upon all the world to try them, to test them, 
that dwell upon the earth. Those that dwell upon the earth are the wicked. And we see that repeatedly throughout the book of Revelation. So hopefully this is really clear now, that the, the 144,000 are not some deficient group who didn't measure up to the Philadelphian standard. Being martyred for God is an honor. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. And, and we should honor those who do this and who might have the opportunity to do this rather than think that somehow, you know, if you're really honorable, you'll be in the place of safety. And if you're not honorable, well, you might have to face martyrdom. It's, a, it's just a wrong way of thinking and it's not in accordance with the scripture. So we saw in chapter 14 last week that the Lamb stood on the Mount of Zion and standing with him were the 144,000. And so the Lamb, it, it, we're not, when, when this is fulfilled, when Christ returns, it's not, he's not going to be an actual lamb on the Mount Zion. This is a symbol. The lamb is a symbol. And right in the same verse is the 144,000. So people want to take the 144,000 literally, but they, they'll take, they won't take the lamb literally. The lamb is symbolic, but then the 144,000 have to be a literal 144,000 from the 12 tribes. It's clearly, these, this is a, apocalyptic literature. And so the lamb is a symbol, and the 144,000 are a symbol. And we covered this last week, I won't repeat it, but it's very clear that this, these people are people who trusted in the, faith, the covenant faithfulness of the God of Israel. And that was demonstrated by his covenant faithfulness to the patriarchs, his covenant faithfulness, the new covenant faithfulness to the apostles, to a thousand generations. So we get 12 by 12 by a thousand to get 144,000. And so we, we heard this uh, voice and, and the voice of harpers harping with their harps. And we saw in chapter 15 that the 144,000 have these harps and they sung this new song before the throne and no one could learn that song except the 144,000 which were redeemed from the earth. So those, there are those that dwell upon the earth and there are those that are redeemed from the earth. We're, we're just pilgrims, we're just passing through. The others are settled and established and think that their kingdom is going to last forever. And so we, we talked about what it means to be not defiled with women and the daughters of Babylon and her daughters and to be spiritual virgins. And so these are the first fruits of, of the Lamb and what it means to be without uh, fault. And so just a reminder that all of this is symbolic. Uh, that the, 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 the scripture is given to John in, in a signified form, in a signified format. It's apocalyptic literature, so it's given to him in symbols. So we come now to chapter 15 and verse 1. And so with that context, and with the 144,000 who are the faithful saints who lived in this, facing this beast power, and these, the, these wicked people that dwell upon the earth who accept his image uh, and his mark and his number, uh, these are the faithful ones. Who keep the patience of God, the patience of the saints. And I saw another symbol in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels having the seven last plagues, for in them is filled up the wrath of God. This is it now. This is the final hour. And I saw, as it were, a sea of glass mingled with fire, and them that had gotten the victory over the beast, and over his image, and over his mark, and over the number of his name, stand on the sea of glass, 
having the harps of God. And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are thy works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are thy ways, you King of Saints. So, so they have gotten the victory, and now they are singing the song of Moses. In the same way that in the first Exodus, the children of Israel got the victory, not by their strength or their power or their might. They, they just stood still, and they watched the conquest of God. So the conquest comes through the Lamb. And they are just, these saints now are so grateful, singing how great and marvelous are the works of God Almighty, and how just and true are his ways, King of Saints. Who shall not fear you? I mean, this is like, you would have to be crazy not to fear God. Who shall not fear thee, O Lord, and glorify thy name? For you only are holy. So the 144,000 understand this. They're not holy. They wash their garments in the blood of the Lamb. You only are holy. For all nations shall come and worship before thee. So this is something that all nations are going to come and worship before God. All nations are going to know that God is the God of Israel. For you only are holy. For all nations shall come and worship before you. For your judgments are made obvious, made manifest. And Jeremiah asked the same question. So this is an echo of Jeremiah. Who would not fear thee, O king of nations? For to you does it appertain. For as much as among all the wise men of the nations and in all their kingdoms, there is none like unto thee. So it is fitting for all nations of the earth to fear God. For as much as among all the wise men of the nations and in all their kingdoms, there is none like unto you. So there, you know, this is, who shall not worship the beast? And who can make war with him? He's just so wonderful. He's just so great. Nonsense. There's only one holy God. There's only one that deserves this kind of adoration. And it's, it's the God of Israel. In Psalms, David writes, All nations whom you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. And these prophecies are throughout the scriptures. Isaiah says, it shall come to pass that from one new moon to another, and notice this, from one Sabbath to another, hello, Sunday keepers, from one Sabbath to another, this is future, when God is returned, and, and those who are keeping his commandments, the Ten Commandments, and found faithful, and now when he establishes his kingdom from one Sabbath to another, shall all flesh come to worship before me, says the Lord. Coming back to Revelation uh, chapter 15 and verse 5, he says, After that I looked, and behold, the temple of the tabernacle of the testimony in heaven was opened. So where have we seen this language before? The temple of the tabernacle of the testimony. Well, here in um, chapter uh, 38 of Ezekiel, he says, this is the sum of the tabernacle. And notice what he calls it, even of the tabernacle of testimony, as it was counted according to the commandment of Moses. So the tabernacle has always been a tabernacle of testimony. 
And that's what this is all about. It's all about testimony. Testifying about the true God. So he says here, in continuing chapter 15, And the seven angels come out of the temple. So these seven angels come out of the temple having the seven plagues. So this number seven is significant. The number seven we know is the symbol of completion, of perfection. And so this God is finally going to act now once and for all and put an end to this wickedness of man. And so these seven, ange these, these seven angels with the seven plagues represent the complete wrath of God. So these seven angels now are clothed in pure and white linen. So we know this is again symbolic. White linen is righteousness. And having their breasts girded with golden girdles. And, and so this we've seen again language from Ezekiel. And behold, six men came from the way of the higher gate, which lies toward the north. And every man a slaughter weapon in his hand. And one man among them was clothed with linen. So this is now a righteous judgment. And with a writer's inkhorn by his side. And they went in and stood beside the brazen altar. And the Lord said unto him, Go through the midst of the city, through the midst of Jerusalem, and set a mark upon the foreheads of them that sigh and cry for all the abominations that be done in the midst thereof. And we as the people of God should be grieved by the wickedness that's going on around us. Uh, just tonight I got news of another mass shooting in, in America and in, in Florida. Uh, in high school, young children going to school should never have to face this. This should grieve us. And so if we have the view of God to see human beings made in his image, being just, I, words fail me, human beings made in God's image, we should sigh and cry for this. But those who have God's standards are standing against wicked men. And so God says, set a mark upon the foreheads of the men that sigh and cry. In Revelation, it set a seal upon our foreheads. And people think that this seal means, oh, we won't be touched by the beast. We may very well be touched by the beast. In fact, our martyrdom is our seal. It demonstrates that we kept the word of our patience right to the finish, of, of patience right to the finish line. So going back to Revelation 15, he says, one of the four beasts gave unto the seven angels seven golden vials full of the wrath of God. So again, another symbol. And these vials that had the uh, prayers of the saints earlier, now they're full of the wrath of God. Seven golden vials. God is angry with the wicked. Who God who lives forever and ever. And so these seven golden vials, again, this is a Jeremiah language, for thus says the Lord God of Israel unto me, take the wine cup of this fury at my hand and cause all the nations, them that dwell upon the earth, to whom I send you to drink it. Coming back to uh, Revelation 15. So these uh, vials are given. One of the four living creatures gave unto, we know these four living creatures are in front of the throne, sea of glasses in front of the throne, it's mingled with fire. He's given to these seven angels, the seven golden vials full of the wrath of God, who lives forever and ever. And the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God. 
and from his power. And no man was able to enter into the temple until the seven plagues of the seven angels were fulfilled. And where have we seen this language before? If you remember in Exodus, that a cloud covered the tent of the congregation and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. So God was there. And Moses was not able to enter into the tent of the congregation because the cloud abode thereon and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And in 1 Kings 8, And it came to pass, when the priests were come out of the holy place, that the cloud filled the house of the Lord, so that the priests could not stand to minister because of the cloud. For the glory of the Lord had filled the house of the Lord. In Second Chronicles, speaking of the same time period, it came to pass, as the trumpeters and singers were as one, to make one sound to be heard in praising and thanking the Lord, and when they lifted up their voice with the trumpets and cymbals and music in, instruments of music and praised the Lord, saying, For he is good, for his mercy endures forever. That then the house was filled with a cloud, even the house of the Lord, so that the priests could not stand to minister by reason of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord had filled the house of God. So when we see... When, when these um, the, the uh, seven bowls, the, the seven the, the four living creatures are given the seven bowls to the seven angels. They're full of the wrath of God. The, the, this, this undiluted wrath is going to come down upon the head of the wicked. Even so, amen. Because the God who is authoring this is a holy and a righteous God. His glory fills the temple. He is so glorious. He is so holy. And his judgments are right and true. And I think, you know, sometimes we as Christians, we want to put on this kind of holy, holy attitude where we're more righteous than God. And when God wants to judge the wicked and condemn the wicked, we want to, oh, no, no, let's not be judgmental. Let's just, well, this is the glory. This is the God of judgment, the God of glory. And we back up and support his judgments. Even so, amen. So just the first verse now in chapter 16, which we'll go into detail next week. And remember that uh, next week, the um, Bible study will be on Thursday evening rather than Wednesday evening. But next week, uh, these seven bowls, these seven vials, and the seven angels that have been introduced here in chapter 15, Next week, we go into detail in what's inside each of these bowls when they're dumped or, or poured uh, upon the earth. But chapter 16, verse 1 says, And I heard a great voice out of the temple saying to the seven angels, Go your ways and pour out the vials of the wrath of God upon the earth, upon them that dwell upon the earth. And this is the hour that the Philadelphians, because of their faithfulness, that Smyrna, because of their faithfulness, that all the churches who, who took under advisement the advice of Christ and got their act together and, and washed their robes in the blood of the Lamb and sorted themselves out so that we could obtain the victory. This is the hour of temptation that we are kept from. And those that dwell upon the earth must now face these seven angels 
as they go their ways to pour out the vials of the wrath of God upon the earth. And that's what we'll cover next week, Thursday evening, as we uh, dive into, God willing, Revelation chapter 16. So thanks for joining tonight. Hope it was all clear. And uh, what a God we sit, what a God we serve. He's holy. He's glorious. He's righteous. He's patient. And so we have a we have a work to do. We have a testimony. We have a story to tell to the nations. Uh, we have a gospel to preach. Let's be about our Father's business. Praise be to Jesus Christ. Amen.